You may be seated. Amen. Good morning, Coastal Community Church. Good to see you all this morning. You awake? Good morning. Good to see you. Do me a favor and send your bulletins a handout. Uh, get that out and follow along with me. Uh, we're going to dive into 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. We're bringing this series called Guarding the Gospel down the home stretch. Uh, last couple chapters, as the Apostle Paul usually does when he writes a letter, are very practical. And so uh, this morning, we're going to kind of launch into some very practical teaching of what the gospel, and in this case, what the, the guarding of the gospel, the structuring of a church looks like, and then how that looks like practically. Okay, so there's a Bible and a chair in front of you. If you don't have one with you, I'd encourage you to get one out. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, while you're getting ready, I want to let you know the Bolivia team got home safe and sound. So thank you for your prayers. I know they had an amazing time and already hearing some great reports of some of the great things God did. And I look forward to talking to more of them. And I know you might. If if one of them is in your small group, let me encourage you, give them a night to share. Uh, and your small group's a great spot to hear about how you were a part of sending a team uh, to another country. And then uh, you can be in prayer this week as a church. Uh, so we got one group coming home. We're sending another group. We're sending about 40 students to camp this week. So uh, they're going to North Carolina. So just be in prayer for them. Snowbird, amazing, amazing camp. I'm super excited. My kids are going. I can't wait. Uh, and so just pray for God to, to change their lives and mold them into the image of Christ. I didn't mean that that way, okay? So I'm excited for what God's going to do in their lives. And a little peace and quiet never hurts. So uh, yeah, so anyway, this past week, man, I had a really cool week. Uh, this past I grew up with a boat. My dad had a boat. Uh, he was really generous and letting me use it even as a teenager. He let me take it out by himself. I just grew up on the water, and I missed that. So my brother calls me this spring, uh, and he says, you're not going to believe this. I got a boat, you know. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. He goes, why don't you take a couple days off work? I'll take a couple days off work. We'll plan a week this summer, and we'll get together, and we'll go do some boating. And I was like, man, that sounds great. He said, well, we'll do some water skiing, and we'll do some crabbing. And so Thursday, I, you know, Wednesday night, loaded my boys and my daughter up, and, and my wife got to have a couple quiet days, and we went up north. And, and Thursday, we water skied, and it was incredible. I got home. My mom's like, did you water ski? I said, yeah, I water skied. She goes, well, that's awesome. I said, yeah, I water skied for about mm, 60 seconds. My brother pipes and knows about 90 seconds, but it was great. You know, memories of days of old. The next day, we went crabbing. Now, if you've ever done any crabbing, I, we grew up doing it. Um, and so um, it, you have, there's two ways to catch crabs. You know, crabs are uh, they're bottom feeders and they're scavengers, okay? And so uh, there's two ways. At least we used to catch crabs. One was with crab pots, okay? And you drop these kind of these traps on the bottom, and you put a little bait in there. And then when you pull it up, the, crab, the trap kind of surrounds the crab. And so that's one way. The other way to tr crab is to use a trout line. That's what we called it. I don't, maybe it's got another name uh, where you're from, but it, you basically put out about 500 feet of rope or line on the bottom. Uh, every three or four feet, you put some bait, and then you, what you do is you grab the end of the line with a buoy, and you put it over a roller, and you go slowly, and the crabs will eat the bait, and they'll stay on this line, and you'll net them or, or scoop them off the line, and that's how you catch crabs. And so, uh, so uh, for some unknown reason, though, you have to get up at a ridiculous hour to go crabbing, okay? I don't know why. That's just what they tell me you have to do. So we got up Friday morning at 3 a.m., uh, which for me is normally the time I get up to pray anyway, so, you know, it really wasn't that much out of the norm, but, uh, you know, so got up at 3, we, we drive an hour and a half to this river down near Annapolis, we launched the boat. It's about quarter to five, five o'clock. The boat is in the water. We're putting the crab traps in. We're putting the lines in. And I look at my brother and I say, hey, where is your net 
to scoop the crabs. And he gave me a blank stare, and I was like, oh no, we are not gonna be crabbing this morning. And it's amazing how one little thing, as simple as a net, can ruin your whole crabbing experience. So I said, well, not to worry, okay? There'll be a Walmart somewhere nearby. And so I get my GPS, I said, why don't you guys go out, you put the crab traps out, I'll run and get a net, I'll be back in you know, 30, 40 minutes. So I get in my car, I drive, find on GPS, there's a Walmart about 20 miles away, I drive up to the Walmart, and the Walmarts are no longer 24 hours in Annapolis, okay? So I sit in front of this Walmart till six in the morning, I get my net, I come back to the dock, and my brother, I text him and say, I'm here to the dock. He comes in and they hold up a bushel and they say, hey, we've caught seven crabs in our crab pot, in our traps. So I was like, oh, man, wait till we get out there. So we lay the line, get my net that we just purchased. And on the first run with the net, we got about 20, 10 crabs to keep. All right? We came up with a bushel of crabs. So if you're a crab or you love to eat crabs, it was awesome. Okay, But one little thing like a net or missing a net can ruin the whole, whole experience. So this morning, I want to give you some practical steps. Okay, I'm assuming, I'm going to work with something you're here this morning. You're a believer. Maybe you're investigating claims of Christ. I'm going to talk to you at the end, okay? But, but if you're a believer, the Bible has an expectation that you're in ministry, okay? In fact, that the root word of ministry is the word, and Pastor Joey preached this a couple weeks ago, it was the word diakonos. It's the idea of serving others. Is it the root word? And if you're a Christian, it's kind of assumed that you're, that you're ministering to other people. You're pouring your life out, helping other people. And so Paul here gives Timothy some really practical advice. So for some of you, this is going to be review. Some of you, this is going to be new. But one small thing in your life can make a huge difference to making a big impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not just talking to pastors here this morning. I'm talking to everyone who's a follower of Christ who wants their life to be, make a difference. So the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, he reminds that we engage in ministry to remind others of the truth. So when you're serving others, it's not just good works and doing nice things and doing good things because it's doing good things with the opportunity or looking for the opportunity to remind people of the truth of the gospel. First Timothy chapter four, verse six, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, if you explain, I want you to circle the word in your notes. I want you to circle the word explain. If you explain these things to the brothers and the sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. The word explain means to remind or to suggest gently. It actually has the idea of being gentle in your explanation. Church, the, the, the church is the place of truth. I want you to hear that. The church is the place of truth, where people can hear the truth and build their lives on the truth. Jesus even said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will bring freedom. It will set you free. You know, by the way, you know, we live in a culture where a lot of people, uh, and we do this too, like we're talking to someone about a worldview or we're challenging a worldview, we'll say, well, that's not what I believe. And we throw out, I believe as the trump card, right? And, and, and when you get into like a debate, other people do, well, I believe, well, I believe, and as if our personal belief is the trump card. You know, there's something bigger than what you believe. Amen. It's the truth. We have to believe the truth. And so a lot of people in our culture are building their lives on lies, but they say, because I believe it, well, that settles it. That doesn't settle it. 
First Timothy chapter 3, and I, I kind of didn't spend a lot of time on this when we went through chapter 3. First Timothy 3.15, Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy this. He says, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of what? All right, you guys are awake. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Is it up there? All right, here we go. Ready? Here we go. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of what, church? The church is not a building, right? We know that. My son, every time I say, you know, we're going to church, he's like, no, you are the church. I'm so thankful he's gotten one thing out of my teaching all these years, right? The church is the people. And we gather corporately, and we learn, and we praise, and we worship, and then we go out, and where the Bible says we're the salt and light in the community, okay? But we are, the, listen to this, you're the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That means we uphold the truth of God, the living God, the apostle Paul says to Timothy. The living God, we uphold that truth. Isn't that amazing? We're the, we're the salt and the light of truth in a community. And there's times, however, that the church uses the truth like a bully club, right? Well, let me tell you, boom, and we're just like a bully club. And Paul here says, listen, Timothy, your job in ministry, so if you're serving people at, through the ministries of Coastal Community Church, you're on mission, you're leading a small group, you're in one of the ministries here on Sunday morning that you help, you know, help us put a corporate service together here in this community. You know, however you're serving, you're serving in our youth ministry, men's ministry, there's hundreds of ministries at Coastal, and you're serving, you're doing that with the opportunity to build relationships, to talk to people about the truth of the living God. But we do that gently, according to the Apostle Paul. And we do it gently. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says to, in, uh, to the church of Ephesus, he says, instead, we should speak the truth in what? In love. It's not a bully club. Right? It's relational. By the way, it's a big part of the ministry of small groups at Coastal is that you, you rub shoulders with people with the opportunity to build relationships with people so that when those moments come that you can speak the truth in a, in a relational setting that's loving. Which leads me to a second point. Not, not only are we to be gentle with truth, but we are to speak the truth. I think a lot of times in our lives, we, we as Christians, we're like, well, I'll just I'll live a righteous life. I'll live a God life. And I'll let my actions speak for themselves. Great, we should do that. Our actions shouldn't undermine our words. However, the scriptures are clear. We, sh we should look for opportunities to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should, we should be building relationships with people that don't know Jesus with the opportunity to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel chapter 3, and I can take you to Ezekiel chapter 33, very similar passage of scripture. The prophet Ezekiel is being commissioned by God. And this is what God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17. He says, son of man, I have appointed you to be a watchman. Now, uh, let me back up a little bit and give a little explanation of the word watchman. In, Bi in Old Testament times, if you were a powerful city, if you were a wealthy nation and you had lived in a powerful city, what they would do is they would build a wall around your city, and that would be a defense mechanism to enemies so that enemies couldn't come and overrun the city and rob the city, okay? And so the nation would oftentimes build a wall around the city, and then they would place a watchman on that wall. Now, the watchman's job wasn't to defend. The watchman's job wasn't to lift the sword necessarily. The watchman's job was simply to alert Stay awake, tell the truth, tell when an intruder was coming, and alert others. And so 
Ezekiel is, is commissioned here by God. He says, Son of man, I've appointed you as a watchman to Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. If I warn the wicked, you are under the penalty of death, but you, uh, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. In other words, if there's an enemy coming against a wall where you're a watchman, a city where you're a watchman, and you don't say anything, guess who's responsible? The watchman. The watchman is responsible if an enemy comes and he doesn't say anything. Ezekiel goes on to say, uh, God goes on to say to Ezekiel, the prophet says, now if you warn them and they don't turn from the sins, then, then it's, on their, uh, it's on them. But if you don't say anything, then you're responsible. I think too many of us as Christians, like we're running through life, man, and we have this truth. We've been set free by the gospel of Christ, man. We're like, we're kind of holding it in. And sometimes I ask myself this, like, do I really believe that what we hold is the truth to not just life here on earth, but eternal life? And if so, why am I so quiet about it? We should be motivated as watchmen to say, you know what? Listen, we have the truth of eternal life. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not up to us to change anybody. I think that's the point of Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33. We don't change anybody. That's the spirit of God. But we do have a responsibility to be watchmen. Say, you know what? I've got some great news for you. It's the gospel of Christ. And so we look as a church. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to speak gently, but I do want you to speak. Now, I want to encourage you with this, okay? And this might be the, maybe you served in ministry a long time, and this, this might be the, well, I knew that already, okay? So hopefully this may be a reminder, but maybe this is new to you. Maybe you're, you just came to Christ. Maybe you're just stepping into ministry. Okay, let me give you some insight into the, what will fuel your ministry, okay? Because your tank will run empty from time to time when you're, when you're serving others. First Timothy 4, verse 6, Paul goes on to say, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. One who is, and if you got your little pen out, you can pencil, you can circle this. One who is nourished. Okay, you got to be nourished when you're in ministry, when you're serving others. One who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. I think this is important to understand that you need both of these to be to be uh, to sustain a long running ministry. You have to be nourished in the faith and in good teaching, and I think it's both of these. I think we have to be very, very careful that we understand that we don't have just faith in faith. When I talk about faith, what do we have faith in? We have faith in the risen Christ. That's where our faith lies, church. Our faith is, it lays in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ authenticates all that we believe. In fact, when we talk about the gospel, you hear us a lot of times in culture talk about the gospel. What does that mean? The gospel is that God satisfied his holy wrath by pouring out his wrath, his justice, his judgment on, the, on his son, Jesus Christ. So he bore the wrath of God for us. Jesus lived a perfect, Jesus is the son of God. That's his person. He walked this life. He lived perfectly. He bore or paid a debt he didn't know. He was laid in the grave. Okay, and here's where sometimes we end there with the death of Christ, but that's not where the gospel ends. The gospel ends with the resurrection of Christ, and his resurrection authenticates everything that he said he is, who he said he is, and what he said he's done for us on our behalf. And so our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our faith hinges on this. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, what you believe means nothing. 
It's the resurrection of Christ. If you want to end Christianity, produce a corpse. Show us a gravesite for Jesus, and it's, it's over. Might as well do something else. And so our faith hinges on this. And so it's the first fruits of all the promises of God that will come true. And so a person who serves others, you need to be filled on the gospel of Christ. You need, to, you need to feast on the person and work and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's why. If you're doing it for other people, if you serve others just so uh, for uh, like to get the kind of get an earthly reward, I'm going to tell you sometimes, not always, but sometimes you'll be disappointed. There, some, there will be some people that you serve and love on and invest in, and they're never going to give you an attaboy. Or maybe they give you an attaboy early, but you get down the road with a man and they leave you high and dry. That will happen when you serve ministry. You have got to be nourished on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may, you may or may not ever get paid for your service here on earth to others. You, 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 may, you may never get a thank you. You may never get an earthly reward. And one of the things I find interesting in 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul builds this case of the importance of the resurrection of Christ, he literally says it's the linchpin of Christianity. If there's no resurrection, your faith is in vain. He says that. And then his concluding thought is this in 1 Corinthians 15. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is his wrap-up to why the, why the resurrection is important. He says, be strong and immovable. Always work. How are we supposed to work? Enthusiastically. Isn't that amazing? Always work enthusiastically. Well, how do I work enthusiastically if nobody sees, if I don't get an attaboy, if I don't get paid, if nobody takes care of me? Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Why do you know that? Because there's a resurrection. There's an eternal reward. Jesus Christ sees, he notices. And so when we don't have faith in faith, man, we have faith in the gospel and in the resurrection of Christ. And we feast on that. Then we make sure, not only do we feast on that, but we make sure we have right doctrine. It's not just faith in any, the God of your making. It's, the faith, it's faith in the God of the Bible, which, by the way, let me do a little side note here. Okay, tomorrow night, Monday night, 6.30, okay, we, we're doing a class called How to Study Your Bible. Okay, and the purpose of that class is to teach you how to feed yourself on the scriptures. Because I know a lot of times we're like, maybe you're like, I, mean, I don't really know how to read my Bible. I want to read it, but I don't always understand. Man, that's what we want. We want to teach you how to study your Bible so that you can feast on right thinking and right doctrine on the gospel of Christ and be a self-feeder so that when you're serving in ministry, it fuels you so you don't wear out. And, and we have to believe right things about God because right believing does lead to right behavior, Okay. In fact, I would say in this culture, the culture we currently live in, like people run around, they're like, well, God is love, as if that's the trump card. And is God love? Yes. And one of the things I love that we just sang is my holiness and my righteousness is in Christ. Does God love? Is God love? Of course he loves. But God is also a God of holiness, and God's a God of justice, and God's a God of wrath. And we don't understand who God is, man. We will never understand our need for the gospel. Does God love you? Yes, he loves you. You know how he loves you? In Christ, he loves you. Left to your own, in your flesh, and in your sin, you will, be, you will feel the wrath of God upon you. You know, there's four God is statements in the Bible. One is God is love, but you know what else it says? God is a consuming fire. 
We've got to understand the full character of the God of the Bible. And that happens with right thinking and right doctrine. And and the right understanding of the God of the Bible will revolutionize your life. And it will fuel your ministry. And so we've got to be in the word and have right thinking and right doctrine. And Paul says, Paul Paul encourages Timothy, you've got to have faith in the risen Christ. And you have to have right thinking. The third thing is this, a simple thing. Simple as having a crabbing net. You won't be successful without some of these simple things. Just focus on the best. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, I want you to focus on the best. Don't get sidetracked. First Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Paul says, don't waste time, Timothy, arguing over godless ideas, old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to, God, uh, to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Church, let me encourage us, okay? Let's be careful with the things we waste our time on. Time is a vanishing commodity. You have, a, you have this season on earth, and it's a season, man, and it's 70 or 80 years. The Bible says your life is like a vapor. That's 70 or 80 years. How is it a vapor? Well, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's a vapor. It's a short season. And so Paul encourages Timothy, Timothy, use your time well. Don't, don't get bogged down into useless debating. I got to tell you something. I, years ago, man, I used to listen to a lot of talk radio, uh, especially like conservative political talk radio. I stopped doing that because, man, it just I, my needle was just pegged all the time. And I'm not saying we should be uninformed. I make sure I read the newspaper every day to be informed what's going around. But I'm just really cautious not to like let that consume me. I got consumed with it for a while. I was, always, I was just always depressed. Because the U.S. government's going to save us, right? Yeah, like, really? You know? And so just be careful. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying be cautious of what's consuming your time and consuming your thoughts. We can entertain ourselves to death. We can overindulge in things, in, 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 even in good things. We, there, there's, there are things that are good that we can overindulge in, and, and they're not for our best, a person should be pursuing God and evaluating, how am I using my time well? Paul even says, listen, physical training, physical fitness, man, it has some value, right? It has some. What's its value? You know, I always tell people, look, I'm just, I'm just short for my weight. That's all, okay? You know, I just need to grow another two inches this way. I'll be fine, right? And, and so, one of the, so what's the purpose of exercise? Because Paul doesn't say it's bad. He says it's, it's got some value. What value does it have? You know, uh, we, but we can, you know, and I'll, I'll answer that in a second. But, you know, physical training does have its limitations, right? One of my favorite bumper stickers, it always makes me giggle. It says, exercise, eat right, die anyway. You know, and I like that because that, that puts exercise in its right perspective, right? You can be super fit. You're still getting a funeral, okay? It just it works out that way. So what's the purpose of exercise? So I, always, I think the purpose of exercise is that we should be as fit as we can be for the purpose of serving the Lord. Okay? We shouldn't... Di- different people have different health issues, and sometimes you can't help your health issues. Okay, so however your health, how much you're allowed, God has given you in health, you should be fit enough to continue to be able to serve Lord with whatever he calls you to do in your condition. Okay, we shouldn't be hindered in serving the Lord because of health that you can control. Does that make sense? And so we should be as fit as we can be to be used by the Lord when he calls us to be used. All right? But in the meantime, we should focus on the best, things that have eternal significance. Paul says this. He says, you know, 
we, we, he says, as Christians, we actually have the best of both worlds. He says, we have benefit in this life and the life to come. Like, like your existence is, is awesome, both for this life and the life to come. Why? The truth sets us free in this life. Some of you in this room, man, you, you know the gospel has radically altered you from addictions and a path that you were like, man, I was on a, a, pan, a path of destruction. That's the message of the gospel for all of us. Wages of sin is death, death in this life and eternal death. And the gospel has saved us, so it has benefit in this life. But man, it's got benefit in the life to come. And so we have to, we have to look at our time. I um. I went to a conference many years ago, and one of the speakers said something I'll never forget. He said, more times than not in life, there are things that are, a, that are not problems to solve, but tensions to manage. And I love that. It was like a light bulb when I was like, oh, yeah, you know, because so many times I'm trying to solve things. I'm like, that's not to be solved. It's just a tension in life that we've got to manage. Like what? Like good things that, we, that God has given us to do, that we have to do, and we have to do for his honor and his, for, for his glory. Things like work, right? In fact, in a couple weeks, I'm going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about how to help those in need, because Paul addresses that in Timothy. And part of helping a person in need is making sure that they accept some personal responsibility. Do you know the Bible says if a man doesn't work, a man shouldn't eat? Yikes, right? And so we're supposed to work, and we're supposed to earn a living so that we can be generous. But man, that, but we can also overwork. And so we have to manage that tension in our thinking and in our mind and in community. Again, that's why small groups are important, so you can bounce ideas off of other, other godly men and godly women. Say, hey, you know what? I, this is what's going on. You think it's too much, right? I've seen Christians idolize their family. They don't serve in ministry anywhere. Why? Because they're just always doing family time. Like, family's an awesome thing. It's an important thing. We should be investing the truth in our families. But it's a tension to manage. We don't just do that. We, we manage these tensions that are of good things. You may be, maybe you're here today and you're studying to earn a degree. Education's incredibly important. Okay, I, I've got two degrees, and, and they're beneficial, but, man, they're not the only thing. It's a, it's a tension to manage. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, focus on the best things uh, for the glory of God. And, so, and so, so we have the fuel of ministry, which is to be in the Word and, the, and to feast on the resurrection of Christ, the gospel message of Christ. Um, we've got uh, focusing on our best things. And then finally, Paul reminds this. He goes, if you're going to engage in ministry... If you're going to serve others, if you're going to serve through the local church or do something on the side where you serve people and mission, you've got to understand that you are committing to hard work. You're committing to hard work. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of those who are believers. Now, that's a... That's Verses created some controversy. I'll deal with that in just a second, okay? Hard work. Hard work, Paul, the word here, the Greek word here literally means to work to the point of exhaustion. Did you ever think about that? The word struggle means to get to the point of agony. I don't, don't get the idea that ministry is easy. I just talked to the Bolivia team. Said, you guys tired, like exhausted. I'm like, I know. When I got back from Honduras, man, I, it took me a week to physically recover. I don't know why that was. I mean, I, you know, I went to bed. I, it was just exhausting. 
I talked about this last week, and pastors and elders, you know, like, like what, what your pastors are, it's exhausting. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You know, ministry is hard work. It's struggle. It's agony, and it is supposed to be hard. Sometimes we sign up for something. Maybe you sign up for a ministry at Coastal. Maybe, you, you know, um, you're serving. I, I'm, I know... Um, Especially when you're in a, in a position where you're really investing in other people, man, and, and it, it maybe at times it gets disappointing or it gets difficult or you're bearing their burdens as well. You know, you're walking through life with someone else, they're going through a hard time and you bear that burden. It's with them. It's difficult. And you will come to the end of yourself. That's why I love what we just saying, Lord, I need you, because when when I can't stand, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna fall on you. I need you. That's why we need Christ. You can't do this on your own strength. You will come to the end of yourself. It is hard work. It is agony. It is struggle. It is difficult. And it's supposed to be that way. Why? Because we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Has the kingdom come now? Yes. Has it fully come? Not yet. We're in this in-between time where there is still brokenness and there is still difficulty. And you will pour yourself out for the gospel of Christ. And it will be hard. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise because there are times where we import too much of the not yet into the now. At least we think that's how it should be. We're not home yet. And it's difficult. Apostle Paul, and I, I've read this a couple years ago in Philippians, probably about five years ago, and it just stuck with me for the last five years. In Philippians chapter 2, verse four, 14, where he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. I'll tell you something. I can be a whiner, okay? It's, it's one of my challenges in life. I can be a complainer. And Paul said, do everything without complaining so that, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that you did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Verse 17, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. That stuck out to me a couple years ago because I, I was a complainer and I was whining. It's so hard, you know. And then I read this and Paul says, man, my life is like an, uh, uh, some versions say it's a drink offering that's just poured out. I've got 70 or 80 years to do it. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to pour it out for the glory of God, for the good of others, so that the gospel of Christ may go forward. Amen. Timothy, remember what I said this, 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 this letter is about? It's guarding the gospel, how to set up a church, how to organize a church so that the gospel of Christ can go out in the community. And Paul says, listen, when part of what we're called to do is to minister to others, and it will be difficult. You've got to be poured out. And when you, can't, when you can't stand, you fall on Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we, we, we burn out, okay? There are places, of course, I could do a whole other teaching. Remember, tensions to manage. There are places where we're teaching on Sabbath and resting. That, that's all that's important. But we are to pour our lives out as an offering to God. And then, and then Paul says, he, he goes on to tell, to tell Timothy in this verse that this is the impact of the gospel. The impact of the gospel is this, okay? That when, when you serve others, a church should be making an impact even here on earth. So, so um, Paul goes, says, uh, Christ is the Savior of all people, particularly of those who believe. Now, this is not teaching universalism. A lot of people want this verse to say, everybody gets to heaven. That's not what this teaching is. There's too many other scriptures that tell us otherwise, okay? Um, the idea here is that as we minister selflessly, our, even our society will be blessed. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 that as Christians, we will be salt 
and light in a community. Now, if you know anything about salt, okay, in the Bible times, salt was not flavoring. Salt was a preservative, okay? It preserved a community. It preserved a culture. Okay, I think if, if you do any honest study of history and you see where, where Christianity has deeply influenced a culture, you'll see, a, 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 in a sense, a lifting of that culture. You'll see a lifting economically. You'll see a lifting morally. You'll see a li- uh, there'll be a freedom to do business and things like that. Why? Because but Christians should be salt in their community where they're flavoring it in such a way that the, that the community is better. So when Paul here says save, the idea is not that it's not eternal salvation. The idea is that Christians should be uh, bringing to a community love and hope and joy and thanksgiving and freedom and justice into a dark and decaying world, okay? And so that's what Paul's saying. When, when, when you minister, when you serve, you lift up the community, all right? Now, you also bring eternal salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10, right? If I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, I will be saved, right? Believe in my heart that, Jesus, that God raised him from the I will be saved. And so Paul here says, listen, ministry's tough, but man, it brings good, good things both to the community you live in and eternal salvation to those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul challenges Timothy, pour yourself out in service to others for the gospel of Christ, and it will make an impact in this life and the life to come. Church, I want to encourage you, serve Christ minister to others. It's the way that, that the gospel of Christ is poured out. I, uh, I have this game. I, I, I haven't used this illustration in a while. I have used it before. So if you've been around a long time, you've heard it before. I have this game called Drive You Nuts, okay? And uh, it's, it's a little bit Rubik's Cube-like, you know, if you like those kind of games. But essentially, each of these little pieces is shaped like a nut, like a nut and bolt, okay? And they're all numbered one to six, okay? And the goal of this game is to put all these pieces together so that a one is touching a one and a two is touching all the way around. Every number's got to line up and match up, okay? And I've only solved this puzzle, honestly, I've had this game since I was a kid. I've only solved this puzzle like two, maybe three times, okay? And the one thing that I've learned on the times that I've solved the puzzle is you have to start with the one in the middle. You have to get the right one in the middle, and then you start lining up the numbers all around the right one in the middle. And if you get the wrong one in the middle, it never works. And so it takes a lot of time to figure out which is the right one to get in the middle. And I remember I was thinking about this game one time, and I was frustrated with it. And I said, you know what? It's a little bit like life. It's a little bit like the gospel message. You've got to have the right thing in the middle of your life. You, and the right thing is the worship of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ. You have to have the gospel in the center, right? And then once you have the gospel in the center, then you can go, oh, here's how my marriage fits around that, right? And then once you got that one figured out, then you go, well, here's how my ministry fits around that. Here's how my fitness fits around that, right? But what we tend to do is we tend uh, to do one of two things. Sometimes we put good things but not the best thing in the center, Now I'll tell you what. You know what? I'm going to put my family. That's going to be the center of my being. Right? And then we hit the teen years, right? <laughs> Man, this, this don't make a whole lot of sense anymore. I put a lot of time in. I did good things. And I, I put fitness in the middle. Fitness isn't bad, but man, what happens when the knee gives out, right? I don't know how y'all remember last spring, we did a baptism with one of our college athletes, right? And she said, 
man, I blew my knee out of rehab. I got back on the field, blew my other knee out. What do we do then? I'll tell you something. You could put ministry here. Ministry is a good thing. I'm a small group leader, serving children's ministry, working with the youth group, men's ministry, women's ministry. I'm teaching Bible study. Like, you could put that here, man. And what happens when no attaboys come or it gets tough? If that's what's there, you're going to be disappointed. You could put a relationship here, a boyfriend, a girlfriend here, man, and you're neck deep in a relationship and trying to make that thing work, you know, man, find my happiness there. But I'm going to tell you something that will disappoint you. Even worse, sometimes we put sin here, like direct disobedience to God. We put it right here. Sex outside of marriage, man, you put that there, you pursue that. That's addictions, anger. That's right in the center, man. It consumes you and it leaves you for dead. You've got to put Christ in the middle. And then you put the, that's the fuel. And then you put the rest of the stuff around. You put the marriage, you put the ministry, and the rest of it begins to make sense when worship of Christ is in the middle. This is a, something I tell my, my, my kids often. One little verse I tell my kids often. I use it a lot. If you come see me for counseling, man, I'll give you this verse. It's, it's, it's a little saying of Jesus. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, put the gospel in the center. Some of you know the verse, right? Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. And what happens next? Everything else will be added to you. The money makes sense. The marriage makes sense. The parenting makes sense. The ministry makes sense. And so let me encourage you here this morning. If you're going to be in ministry, Jesus has got to be at the center. The gospel has got to be at the center. If you're here this morning and, and you're investigating the claims of Christ and you've been, you've been trying to put partying and, and, or maybe you've been trying to put a good job or making money or a relationship in the center, and, and you're here today and you're confused and you're lost, it's because you've got the wrong thing in the center of your life. Put Jesus Christ in in the center. Maybe today's the day to do that. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you've just gotten out of focus. Make sure Jesus Christ is in the center. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. It's so simple yet so profound. It's so easy to put the wrong things in the center pray that we would put the gospel of Christ in the center. Focus on the best, the person and work of Jesus. I pray for the one in this room who has been ministering and they're tired and they're weary. God, I pray that they may find a spot of Sabbath and rest in your word, in worship to Christ. Maybe even a day off, God. All those things can be part of it. But God, I pray that they would be refreshed so that they can be poured out in ministry. We're being reminded that Christ sees and Christ rewards. And I pray, Lord, that this church would be a church full of ministers, of people who are serving the risen Christ to make him famous so that our world would know the truth and the truth would bring freedom. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you're here this morning, maybe you like to talk to someone. Maybe you realize, you know what, Christ isn't in the center of my life, and I, I want to make sure he's in the center this morning. I've never made that decision. Let me encourage you. We'll have our prayer team members. They're up here at the front row, okay, and they'll have purple shirts. They would love to talk to you about how, how to put Christ in the center. And, um, and they're here to minister you. They'll be here during the singing time. They'll be here during after the service to talk to you and pray with you. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're a guest with us. This is our offering time. Uh, it's one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. So we don't want you to feel an obligation to give. Uh, this service is our gift to you. One thing we'd love to have from you as a guest uh, is a tear off the side of that bulletin. You can drop that in the offering plate. We just want to say a thank you card for coming. Church, let me encourage you. Keep Christ in the center. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. Pastor Joey. Stand with us. 